Hello, my name is Martina Purdy, and you're listening to Off-Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church, plus those that are disillusioned. Our special guest today is Martin Purnell, your weekly host who today has agreed to let me turn the tables and ask him the usual questions. Here is question one. If you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask them questions, who would it be? I've done a lot of thinking about this, a lot of thinking. And until the Anne Widdicombe podcast that went out, my answer would always be Winston Churchill, because I'm fascinated by all things Second World War. So it'd be great to ask him questions. And this came up with Anne Widdicombe after her response, which I think was King Charles II. And I said, well, I'd like to do Winston Churchill. He said, oh, no, 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 you can't do Winston Churchill. We know 95% of everything that we know about him. You know, you can't have him. Okay, Anne. And I was thinking, well, yeah, but there's still that 5% that we don't know. So, I, you know, an investigative journalist like yourself, you would have much probably said, well, I want to find the 5%. But, uh, oh, dear. So I've got a choice of two now. I've narrowed it down to either St. Francis, because of a book I read a couple of years ago by Morgan Cronk called Chasing Francis, which is set in a CC, so it'd be great to know about him, or the patron saint of Nigeria I'd like to maybe interview on over a meal. patron saint of Nigeria is? St. Patrick. Oh, there you go. So I, <laughs> every time I come on this podcast, well, you know, I think I'm going to invoke Anne Whittacombe here on St. Francis of Assisi, who is very, very, very well chronicled. Okay. <laughs> But, but I think, you know, uh, it's always good to go to the source and all these people who are writing about Churchill and St. Francis in many ways are, are guessing and they're coming from their own cultural perspective. So any one of those three would be amazing. Thank you. Second question. Who is your favorite biblical character or favorite biblical story or indeed favorite parable? It has to be the favorite parable part of it. And that will be the parable of the sower. Ever since I heard it from a kid growing upwards, and then when I became that reluctant Christian in 1987, I've always thought, well, what kind of seed am I? And yeah, I've, I've shared this story many a time, especially in my earlier days of being a Christian. The parable of the sower, because you, you meet other Christians who immediately sprout up, don't they? And you know they, they want to do everything, and eventually they soon sort of wither, and life just takes over, and they get swallowed up by the uh, life of brambles and briars and the soil that they grew up in in their church or whatever it hasn't rooted them. Whereas I'm that sort of seed that's been stored away in a greenhouse for like 200 years <laughs> to be looked after, to make sure they get the right soil and everything else maybe. And has the Lord said, plenty of manure around that seed. You know, he talks about, you know, we have to give them time and, and manure them for a few years. I think that was Jesus' idea of a joke. Yes, well, that's very true. And that goes back to something that you shared on your podcast as well about the, the parable of the ponies. And if no one <laughs> knows what I'm talking about, go and listen to it because the parable of the ponies is just fantastic. Made up story, but a very good one. Yeah, that's a very intriguing parable. Uh, sometimes I just think uh, my heart has all those things. <laughs> Stony ground, good soil, thorns. So I'm trying to let the Lord transform it all into good soil. Yeah. So, third question, if you were Prime Minister for the day and could change any law or indeed impose a new law, what would it be? Oh, well, I first of all would say that I'm allowed to because I can't make my mind up on this. 
<laughs> Typical politician. Ah, oh, but I'm going to answer it correctly as opposed to a politician who will completely digress. Would set up a commission to study it for a year. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Well, I don't need to do that. I'm going to be controversial on both. Uh, the first one, which must probably would be applauded by a lot of people, uh, would be that unless you were born in the city of Manchester or your parents came from Manchester or you played for Manchester United or Manchester City, you can't support Manchester United. Right, end of. Sorry. Go support your local team, right? He says wearing his Bristol City shirt today. <laughs> Go support your local team. Do it. Why do you have to support Manchester United? Don't get that. And I know that would be very controversial in the country I now live in. I would be Rob Martin. They would have to call in the cops for sure. It's only last day, but sure, you'd have time. Sorry, you keep cutting out. That's my fault for talking over you. Sorry. So my second controversial one, if I had to make a choice of two, this would be the one. As you know, my wife, she's not at all well. We have a disabled badge, and I hate people who abuse the badge. Give you a classic example. Only last week, we were trying to get into a disabled bay space. Somebody parked there, perfectly able-bodied, no badge in there at all. They immediately rushed, <coughs> reversed out, and crashed into us. <gasps> Fortunately, there was no damage on the car. Oh. The girl, lady got out and apologised profusely. She apologised she should have been there. You shouldn't have been in the space in the first place. But what gets my eye even more are the people who do have the blue badges and then abuse it. And what I mean by that are, for instance, badges for my wife. Not for me, for my wife. So consequently, if we go shopping and my wife doesn't get out of the car, I am not allowed to park on double yellow lines. I'm not allowed to park in blue badge spaces because my wife is in the car. I can even do that if she gets out of the car. So these people have the blue badges and think, oh, right, okay. I'm going to go shopping. Uh, my wife would be fine. She can get out of the car. That's okay because it's for her. But if she stays in the car so you can go shopping, no way. Oh, I'm very yeah. angry on that. I get a bit miffed when you go to the supermarket and they have the, the spaces with the for the mother and kids and you see people drive up with not a sign of a child. Yes. And yes. off they go. But sure, they go. it's not a perfect world. We have a fallen nature. <laughs> okay, so you're out of office now. Yes. And outside of family events, what has been your most enjoyable day out? Anyone that knows me will know that uh, I'm a simple man, a simple pleasures, basically beer, football and music. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think it was all encompassed about two years ago. I mean, I've got some really good friends back in England who really look after me and will treat me to football matches, will even pay for my airfares to go over and watch Bristol City. And I'm deeply indebted. But uh, just before COVID, one of my old housemates contacted me to say, especially as we're now getting back into prog rock music, that uh, we should go and see Stephen Wilson at the O2 Arena in London. I said, well, I can't afford the ticket. He said, no problem. I will treat you. you know, so I thought, wow. So I was really looking forward to it. Got all the music by Stephen Wilson, ex-Porcupine Tree bloke. Really got into it. And then COVID came along and then they cancelled the gig. So I was like, okay. Because I was using EasyJet, who are fantastic. We love EasyJet. I then got a voucher to use the next one. Stephen Wilson decided to then reappoint the gig, but in this time he's going to do it at the Hammersmith Ogium, which is a smaller venue, which is great. Uh, my mate Andy, he went and reapplied for tickets, got the tickets. Great, what could possibly go wrong? I went to EasyJet, got my tickets transferred. So we were going over in September to London for the gig. And then Stephen Wilson decided he'd had enough and cancelled the thing altogether. So here was me with my tickets, couldn't go to the gig, but I noticed that my football team, Bristol City, were playing QPR which was just down the road from Newbury where he lived. 
So I thought, well, we can go to the QPR game in the daytime. Never been to that ground. I've been to 74 league grounds with Bristol City. Never been to Loftus Road. Brilliant. That's a great way around it. But then, you know, when you sort of Google to see what can we do in the evening, all of a sudden, in Basingstoke that night, was a chap by the name of Steve Hackett, who was the ex-league guitarist with Genesis, doing the Seconds Out tour. And I thought, wow. So we got to the ground, but before that, you had to go to Weatherspoons. We had to blag our way in because it was for home fans only. So I showed him my driving license to say, hey, guess what? <laughs> you know, I'm from Northern Ireland. I'm not here causing trouble. So he sort of let us in. And then one of my great mates who's now living in Stoke, he couldn't come down, but his son, who's in his 30s now, came down. So we met, went to the football, and then went to the gig afterwards. So there you go. All three, beer, football, and music all in one. What a day. Excellent. I know your second favorite day out is St. Patrick's Way, which has neither beer. Well, it does have beer at the end if you do your do your collage. It is. People need to listen to that podcast that we did yeah. because it's actually been proven that loads of people want to do it as a result. So, in fact, one of my friends, Andy, he came over purely to do it. So there you yeah, go. it's a great experience. It's a, it is an experience. <laughs> so, finally, what has been your most embarrassing moment? I have spent ages working on this. <laughs> Absolutely ages. And like a, another person said on a podcast, you know, he doesn't have embarrassing moments because he knows how to dig his way out. And that's how I feel. I've got loads of embarrassing stories that people say embarrassing. But to me, it's like, well, it's what you do with the embarrassment, how you get out of it. I was going to share originally the cannonball thing, but cannon and ball, they were great. We got around it, so it wasn't embarrassing. I suppose my most embarrassing moment, if you're going to go on what others have said, would be start of this year. Every year, I phone up a, a good old friend of mine who's quite a few years older than me just for a chat to catch up what's going on in the previous year. Only for this time, his wife I haven't spoken to in about 10, 12 years, 15 years or something like that. She answered the phone because it turned out that he was, uh, he was away for the night and he forgot to take his phone. So she answered it. So I thought, well, great, I'll have a chat with her, right? Unfortunately, I don't think she understood my sense of humour and I forgot quite a few things. About you have the humour, Martin. This is Well, OK, that's true. It's debatable, isn't it? Do I have a sense of humour? It's debatable. Uh, I have something. No, you have a great sense of humour. <laughs> I thought we'd talk about you know, her, her life after she left university and she went to one of these universities from 1968 onwards whereby you no longer in the UK needed to study Latin to get in. I then started to share and I said, of course, your university, if you do a master's, what do you say to somebody who's got a master's degree from your university? And she said, I don't know. What do you say? And I said, can I have a Big Mac and fries, please? Well, that did not go down. That did not go down at all well because she said, you know, I am the vice president or president of the alumni association for the university. And I went, no. So I started digging myself out and saying, even so, one can laugh. Yeah, I, well, you would have thought so. But I said, well, it's only a joke. You can use it for any generic university, <laughs> you know. So, so I thought, I know what, I'll tell a story about her university. And I said, did you see the other year the programme on the making of University Challenge? And she said, no. I said, well, your university you went to, they were in the series, never did any well until 1973. And I said, I read up about it. And in 1973, they got through to the final. So they all went to the pub beforehand and it was going to be recorded at Granada Studios in Manchester. And they knew also that England were playing football that night, but hopefully they could watch it after the recording. So they had a couple of beers or two or three in their pub, got onto the coaches. There were two coaches full of supporters and up they went to Manchester Studios, where on one of the coaches where the team was of four people 
they were talking rather loudly and the captain said look when we get those questions who said this quotation he said it's one of two things it's either Winston Churchill or Mark Twain right if you don't know just choose one of those two Winston Churchill or Mark Twain so went to the recording you know two coach loads of supporters against I think it was Oxford University or something like that and they still had nil on the screen after about 15 minutes or something and eventually Bamber Gascoigne said who said this quotation and before I could finish it one of the blokes from this university buzzed and said Mark Twain and Bamber Gascoigne said correct and half the studio fell about laughing thinking it was really funny knowing that <laughs> they were in, the, in on the joke <laughs> and unfortunately that didn't go down too well either with this person concerned the wife because oh, they were taking advice from footballers you know it's just <laughs> he just kept digging Martin <laughs> well it wasn't that it was just that she said but they wouldn't have been in the pub in the first place. She said, I know, I was working in, in, in bars to get through university. Students in 1973, they were really poor. They didn't have any money. <laughs> so that didn't go down too well either. Well, that phone call was my embarrassing moment of a phone I call. feel your pain. I do. <laughs> and we're going to have a bonus question today. Oh, thank you. Not about Brexit. Yeah. Who is your Christian hero? My Christian hero... This is something I used to do on the radio, and as you know, I ask everybody else as well. So my answer is a chap called George Muller. And George Muller was born in the early 1800s in a town in Germany. And uh, when he was 14, apparently he was a real rapscallion. I mean, today he most probably would be called, what's the word they used to say now when you've got kids running around? Free spirit. That's it, isn't it? Uh, oh, that person's a free spirit. So he was most probably in our day uh, a free spirit. But in those days, his father really didn't, like him at all and and he went to church this young George and then his dad I think arrested him hadn't thrown in prison or something like that and whilst there he became a Christian when he came out he knew that that's what he wanted to do and he had this real thing about wanting to evangelize to the Jews so I know there's a couple of organizations that still do that to this day but he then got onto uh, I was gonna say a plane he got, he got onto the equivalent of an easy jet flight on a boat and went over to London as soon as he got into London, he went down dreadfully with illness after illness. And he obviously must have spoken quite good English by this time because he went to see a, a doctor who said the only way for you to be cured is to get fresh air. And so he sent him down to Totnes in Devon. Uh, so he went down to Totnes in Devon and there he got involved, I think, in the Plymouth Brethren or something. So he was there for a, a year or so. He got well and thought, right, now I'll go back to London. And in those days, we didn't have the railway system as such. We didn't have EasyJet, didn't have anything else like that. So he made his way up to Bristol on the stagecoaches. And when he got to Bristol, all he had to do was change over and then go along the M4 corridor sort of thing into London by stagecoach. And when he got into Bristol, Bristol by this time was like the second biggest city outside of London. It was joint with Liverpool for the port and everything else like that. He noticed that there were so many destitute kids just hanging around and nobody was doing anything. I think for every two people in Bristol, there was like one pub. He had to do something for these destitute kids. And so he stayed. He managed to procure a terraced house so he could just bring in these orphan kids and look after them. And then he bought the next house, and he bought the next house, and he bought the next house, and he bought the next house. And eventually, you know, he was becoming an orphanage. You know, he would go and speak to churches. During his lifetime, he actually built five orphanages, now known as Muller Homes, behind the cricket ground, if you know Neville Road, where Gloucestershire play cricket in Bristol, behind there, where well, you've got flats now, but you, know, you would see some very big orphanages. Uh, so he built five of those. And what did it for me was that when he died, 
1898, something like that. So he might have seen Bristol City play, one of the first games. His life, really, when you look at it, you think, wow, he did all this sort of stuff. You know, he received one and a half million pounds in donations from people so he could build them orphanages. There are apocryphal stories of how he would pray because he didn't have any milk to feed the kids. And all of a sudden there'd be a knock on the door and there'd be this milkman. My horse has hurt himself. I've got this milk going off. You can have it. That's apocryphal. It's never been proven. But it's a nice story. But that's what he would do. He'd always pray. And it wasn't until he finally retired in like 1870 that his life, from my point of view, really took off because that's where God said, right, I want you to now go around the world. So he went around the world, not once but twice, would go to the Carnegie Hall in America, would speak there, tell them about the love of Jesus, what was going on, this is what we need to do, show Christ's love in action. His first wife died, and then I think in his 70s he married again. So his second wife would then go around with him on his world tour, became seriously ill in India, if I remember rightly. But for me, when he died eventually in the 1890s, obviously they wanted to find out what was in his room and everything else like that. I think when they added up everything that he owned, his possessions, it came to just like over 100 quid. And during his lifetime, he was also a mentor to Hudson Taylor, but also, I think, one of his main benefactors as well. So, yes, George Miller. One person with God is transformative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was very that was very interesting. I, as I said, I always learn something, Martin, when I come on your podcast. And Thank you. I agree with you. EasyJet is exceptional. So if they would like to sponsor the program and anyone is listening. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well said. <laughs> Congratulations on your podcast and on all the shows and your milestone. And you continue to bear fruit with the good seeds for many years to come. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you for being such a wonderful host today as well. Much appreciated. Oh, just before you go, I have a joke for you. Do you know St. Bernard of Clairvaux? St. Bernard of Clairvaux founded monasteries. and His whole family were converted. They were all wealthy. And one after another, all these rich, wealthy men and women followed him into the monastic life. But he was out riding on his horse one day with another brother. Bernard of Clairvaux said, tell me, brother, do you ever get distracted in prayer? Oh, no, I never get distracted. So Bernard said, well, that's, that's quite amazing. He said, because I get distracted quite a bit. But I'll tell you, if you can say the Our Father without any distractions, I'll give you this horse. So the guy says, okay, Our Father, who art in heaven, can I have the saddle too? Oh, right. You get it? Right. <laughs> he couldn't get to the Our Father. As soon as he thought about the horse, he thought, can I, I'm going to need the saddle. Okay. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Think about that. 